Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Chris's Courses, where we're going through the book of Genesis in a series we're calling Questions in Genesis. We're trying to look at this book and see what are the questions that Genesis wants us to ask before we bring our own modern questions to it that might lead us down the wrong sort of paths. So we're taking a bit more time here at the beginning to really focus in on the creation stories and and kind of set this groundwork. Now we'll, you know, so don't get worried that this is going to go on for 50 or 60 episodes. We're going to speed up a bit as we go, but I think it's really important we take our time here and understand who God is as a creator and then who we are as God's creation. So last time we talked about the image of God as this central concept that defines what it means to be human. What we saw at the end there of chapter one, that male and female together display the image of God. That It's not something found more in one than the other, but together uh, we're equal in that. And this image is also, really it's in Genesis about a calling, uh, about having dominion over the earth, caring for the world, for creation the way that God does. And of course, we know that we have not always done the best job with that. But that still is the calling. We never lose the image of God, even as we're trying to be in God's likeness more and more. Now, one of the other things that we talked about last time is recognizing that there are two creation stories in Genesis. Um, The first one goes a little bit, it's chapter one, and a little bit into chapter two, and then chapter two, the rest of that is the second creation story. And what we saw last time is that the details are told differently. And yet, that was not a problem for ancient readers. Right? That's modern assumptions about how the Bible has to work that create a problem for us. It's not a problem if we don't make it a problem. And so we read them as they are and uh, take them as theological works, not science books. Right? These are not trying to describe uh, you know, everything about the state of the world. They're trying to tell us what God is like. And so that needs to be our focus. And so what we saw in the first creation account is that God is distant and powerful, And what we're going to see in the second account that we're focusing on today is that God is near and nurturing. Those are different ideas, but they're both true ideas. And so I think that's why it's important that we find both of these in Scripture. That's why they're both recorded for us. And so a good question that we're, you know, as we're thinking about questions in Genesis is how is this story communicating the truth about God? Uh, All through Scripture, that's Truth is communicated in different ways, so what is the truth that we're meant to see here? That should always be our guiding question, especially in these chapters. So like I said, we're going to start in Genesis 2. The second account starts in the middle of verse 4. A bit of a side note, but for those that are unaware, uh, Scripture originally didn't have chapters and verses. Those were added much later uh, by, by monks. And, you know, it's helpful to have those, but there are certain times, even here in, in the very beginning, where they didn't quite divide it out what would have been the best way, I think most would say. So, picking up chapter 2, uh, second part of verse 4. On the day the Lord God made earth and heavens, no shrub of the field being yet on the earth, and no plant of the field yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not caused rain to fall on the earth, and there was no human to till the soil, and wetness would well from the earth to water all the surface of the soil. Then the Lord God fashioned the human, hummus from the soil, and blew into his nostrils the breath of life, and the human became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden to the east, and he placed there the human he had fashioned. And the Lord God caused to sprout from the soil every tree lovely to look at and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge, good and evil. Now we're jumping down a little bit to verse 15. 
And the Lord God took the human and set him down in the garden of Eden to till it and watch it. And the Lord God commanded the human, saying, From every tree of the garden you may surely eat, but from the tree of knowledge, good and evil, you shall not eat, for on the day you eat from it you are doomed to die. That again was the translation by Robert Alter I'm using for these initial stories, just so we can hear it in a more poetic way. Now, one of the things that you might notice, uh, well, maybe you don't, but you can see here is a difference in how even the name of God is used. What we saw in the first chapter is that it's just God, and what we see consistently in chapter 2 is it's the Lord God. And if you look in your English Bibles, Lord there is going to be in, in all caps, which is an indication that it's actually not the word Lord, it's the name of God, uh, Yahweh. So it's a name, not a title. Uh, and the reason that it's, it's Lord, there's a Jewish tradition that the, you don't pronounce the name of God out of respect to try and keep the, the commandment, not to take the Lord's name in vain. And so they say the word for Lord instead. But I, I think it's important for us to remember that you know, God has a name, Yahweh. It means it's related to the word to be. I am who I am, God says in Exodus. And that's what's being used here in this story. Now, another big difference in the way God is depicted in this account is it's more anthropomorphic, which is just a way of uh, a word that means we apply human characteristics to something that's not human. So we see God forming things with hands. Later, we'll see God walking in the garden. Again, we, we know God is spirit. God doesn't actually have a body. So this is another way, place where we ask, well, how is this true? What is it saying, right? When God is forming humanity with his hands, it's showing how close God is to us, how involved God is. That's, that's the point of it. So in the logic of this creation account, well, you can't have plants if there's no human being to farm them. Now, that may not be the way that we think, but that's the way that ancient people thought. And so that's the way that, that the story goes. And so even in paradise, in the Garden of Eden, it seems like there's meant to be work, right? tilling, farming, taking care of the land. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, the idea of paradise that I was usually given and, and still tend to think about would not include any sort of work, right? The, the classic idea of just sitting around on a cloud all day and, and doing nothing. But if you've ever, you know, just done nothing for a while, that actually does get kind of tiring and boring pretty quick. And so I think we can see that there's uh, actually a, a strong theology of work in, in Genesis, that work is actually meant to be a blessing. And hopefully we've all found uh, a calling, a vocation like that, where we have work that we do that is life-giving, even if it's not always easy. And there is, you know, as we'll see in chapter 3, it does seem like after sin comes into the picture, work gets a lot harder, but work is not inherently bad. It's actually a good thing. It's part of being human, in fact. So the human being that's created here, there's a little bit of wordplay going on. The word for ground or dirt or earth in Hebrew is Adamah, and then the word for human, as we talked about last week, is Adam or Adam, right? And as we mentioned last week, Adam is a word that doesn't mean man, it means humanity. It's, it's a human being or a person. And so really, Adam's name here is, it's like calling him dirt clod, right? So we'll call him Dusty, I guess. And uh, another way you know, that it seems to be describing what it means to be human uh, you have a body that comes from the dirt, and then you have a spirit or a breath that comes from God. And when those two things are combined, body and spirit, that's when you have a soul or a living being. Right? That's the, this translation said uh, a living creature, but 
Uh, actually, the King James is, is pretty accurate where it, where it says that he becomes a living soul. And so we see here that in the, the biblical mindset, soul is not this immaterial part of a human being. It's not like this separate thing from your body. Uh, the Hebrew word nephesh is a term for the whole being. That's actually a pretty good translation that the Psalms will sometimes use, right? My soul glorifies the Lord. It's, it's my whole being. So we are not just uh, you know, a, a spirit that's trapped in a, in a meat suit. We, our body and our spirit come together, and that makes a soul. That's the Hebrew view of what it means to be human. And in the Hebrew mindset, breath equals life. Right? There's no life when there's breath. They don't focus on a heartbeat. That's a modern scientific idea for us. Uh, whatever has breath has life. And so, again, I think it's interesting to contrast the two creation accounts here. In the first account, the Spirit of God hovers over the waters, kind of watching over things. In the second account, the Spirit of God enters into humanity to give life. Now, we also heard mention the two trees here, especially the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, and the pro prohibition against eating from it. We're going to wait and talk about that next time with chapter 3. Instead, we want to focus on what does it mean to be human here. And so we get a, a kind of a job description again. Um, now, the two words that are used for what the human is supposed to do are abad and shamar. And those words can mean to first to serve, to dress, and till. Uh, so it's kind of a farming sort of word. And then shamar is the idea of caring for something, guarding it, keeping it. And so, in a sense, our job is to serve and protect creation. Uh, the garden is protected more than it's possessed. Right? That's the way that we tend to think about land and these sort of things, that we own it and it's ours, we can do what we want with it. Uh, but here, our, our calling is to take care of it, to make it more fruitful. And so, if we're made to work, what does that look like now? You know, I'm not a farmer. You know, I had that's in my family history. We still have a family farm up in Missouri. But I know most of us, that's not really our job full time to take care of plants and gardens and these sort of things. And yet, I think we're still called to this, this same purpose. We're still part of creation, we still live in it. And so, we still need to be serving it and protecting it and caring for it as much as we can. Uh, we know that we are not doing a good job and we're uh, potentially. Uh, ruining the earth if we don't change the ways that we're interacting with it. And so we go back to Genesis and see this is what we're meant to do with it and see hopefully the ways that uh, we can do better. Now also in the middle of this, I didn't read verses 10 to 14, uh, but it talks about uh, some rivers that, that come out of this land, uh, like the Tigris and Euphrates, that's verses 10 to 14. So again, we're seeing this is its focus on their perspective. They know these, these central rivers in the Middle East, and so it's going to have their perspective. One of the also interesting things that it mentions in here is that it doesn't seem like there's rain yet, uh, just streams and rivers, which is kind of a setup for the flood story in chapter 6 to 9. So now we want to move into look again at verses 18 to 25. I read all of it before. Uh, but this is where God creates the sustainer for uh, the human. So let's pick up in, in verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the human to be alone. I shall make a sustainer beside him. And the Lord God fashioned from the soil each beast of the field and each fowl of the heavens and brought each to the human to see what he would call it. And whatever the human called a living creature, that was its name. 
And the human called names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the heavens and to all the beasts of the fields. But for the human, no sustainer beside him was found. And the Lord God cast a deep slumber on the human, and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed over the flesh where it had been. And the Lord God built the rib he had taken from the human into a woman. And he brought her to the human. And the human said, This one at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, this one shall be called woman, for from man this one was taken. Therefore does a man leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the two of them were naked, the human and his woman, and they were not ashamed. So what's wrong with being alone? Why do we need community, not just you know, marriage or those sort of relationships? Well, uh, I think through the pandemic and quarantine, uh, we all have a, a new understanding of why it's not good to be on our own. Right? This is the first thing in creation that's not good. Uh, you know, no matter what your relationship status is, we need other people around us. Right? We're not at our best when we're just by ourselves. Other people can bring out good things in us. Other people can see good things in us that sometimes we can't see. Um, so we need these sort of relationships. And you know, what's interesting to me in, in this story is that it's God who notices that. It's not uh, the human who says, hey, God, I'm kind of lonely. Can you give me someone else? Right? God is the one that pays attention. As we talked about last time, God uh, exists in community. Uh, relationship is inherent to God as Trinity. And so God knows that it's not good to be alone. And so in the story, God, uh, noticing this problem, starts by creating the animals. They also come from the ground in search of this uh, suitable helper. Now, I like to think that when God created the dog, uh, he was like, well, that's, that's almost it. That's pretty close, <laughs> but uh, not quite. And so uh, the human here is naming the animals to exercise this human duty of serving creation, serving a good purpose. Now, what does a human need? Uh, the, the term in verse 18 that uh, we're focusing on here in Hebrew is an azer konegdo. And there's a lot of different translations of that. If you know your King James, uh, they made up the word help meet, which is <laughs> pretty good. Uh, NIV has a helper that's suitable, a helper as his partner, and the NRSV helper perfect for him, the CEB, and as we heard in this translation, a sustainer beside him. And so how we translate this term, I think, comes into how we understand the relationship between men and women. Is it a hierarchy or is it equality? When you hear the word helper, what does that imply in your mind? Right? And in English, when we use the word helper, it tends to be someone who's subservient, who's underneath. But uh, I want us to think about this, again, from a Hebrew mindset. Uh, in, in Scripture, in the Old Testament, this word helper most often is used to describe God's relationship with Israel. So a few verses here from the Psalms. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. That's Psalm 33. Uh, Psalm 124, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And Psalm 146, happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. So is God subordinate to Israel? No, of course we see there that God, the helper, is actually above. Uh, in Hebrew, a helper is someone who has strength that they can contribute. It's related to the word uh, azar, which means to save from danger. And so that's what the woman is doing here, saving the man from the danger of being alone. It's, it's not a word that indicates uh, inferiority. If anything, it, it's superiority. And the other word, uh, konegdo, 
means uh, as in front of, which is kind of a mouthful. So that's why translations will say something like corresponding or partner or beside. Uh, but it's it's not implying beneath. It's more on the same level. That's that's the idea behind it. And so God splits the atom. Uh, that's my little preacher joke there. I always like to tell. And you know it, we can translate it as rib, right? That's the common way that we understand what God takes from from the human. Uh, but you could also read that as as the side, right? It's a little more than just one bone, uh, as as Adam will say. It's flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. And, you know, something I think I heard it in a wedding first. God doesn't take it from the foot so that she's below or from the head that she's above, but from the side. So, again, they are beside one another. They're on the same level. And, you know, thinking a little bit deeper about some of this gender stuff here, can you have male without female? Uh, right? It's, it's not till verse 23 that we first get the word for man, which is ish, and then the word for woman, which is isha. But before this, it's just been the general word for humanity. So, uh, again, this may not be the perspective of Genesis. This is uh, an interpretive move we're making here. But you could think of Adam, uh, the human in the beginning, as being kind of non-gendered. Uh, gender only happens once you have, have both. But once we have uh, the, the suitable partner, the first human words are a love song. And uh, you know, at last, this is the one I've been waiting for, he's saying. And it's covenant language, right? This commitment to one another. And you could see this focusing on the bone and the flesh as their strengths and their weaknesses. We share all of it. But again, it's celebrating the similarity, right? He's saying finally and equal, unlike all these animals that God's made. This is someone who's the same as me. So the relationship that we're seeing here between men and women is equality, not inferiority. Before sin, man and woman are equals. Now, we'll see in chapter 3, once sin comes in, that's where it starts to change this relationship. But in the beginning, in, in God's ideal, we are equal. There are no differences uh, in terms of how we relate to one another. And, you know, if you go into the New Testament, if we are a new creation through Christ, or if Galatians 3, as Paul says there, uh, there is no male and female, how should we relate now? Uh, it's always meant to be a relationship of equality. And we've messed that up, and it's still messed up in so many ways. But through Christ, we especially need to reclaim this equality that, that God intends for us. And one of the last notes here, kind of that'll lead into our discussion for next week, is the idea that they're naked without shame. Uh, and so you think about, well, who is that like? Well, it's like children, right? Children, uh, I have two young ones right now, and I know this is the case, that they don't care if they're naked around other people. And that's something we kind of have to teach them that, you know, this is some things are private, but, and we don't want them to be shamed about it, but that tends to be the way that we feel about our bodies. And so if we're thinking of them as being childlike here, one of the big questions is, should we want to go back to this state, back to the garden? Uh, sometimes that's, that's spoken of as the ideal, and yet uh, there's a little bit of tension there, I think, that... We do want to have, right, not the weight of the world on us that we have now. And yet at the same time, um, we don't want to be naive uh, and too childish. So we want to have that childlike innocence where we can, but also we want to grow in maturity. And so we're going to see in chapter 3, that's, that's part of the tension, is they're not mature enough, and yet they try and do things they're not ready for. And so we want to grow. Uh, we want to 
have a childlike faith, as Jesus tells us, and yet we want to grow in Christ-like maturity as well. And so I think, you know, it's not just a garden that we want. And we see this actually in the end of Scripture, in Revelation. When you come to the new heavens and the new earth, it's both a garden and it's a city. Right? It's in some ways going back to what God created in the beginning, but it also includes the ways that humanity has, has grown and improved things. So they're both good. We, we want to grow and mature, but it's important that we see here the way that we're meant to do that is in a way that honors and cares for creation, that honors and cares for one another as equals, uh, not creating our own hierarchies, not dominating one another, not dominating creation. Uh, that's where the story is headed, to everything being redeemed in that way. But it's not just to revert to how it used to be. We're called to grow, not just to move back, but to move forward, always keeping in mind how God has made us and who God has made us to be. Well, thanks for joining us today. Next week, we'll start to get to the negative side of the story. We'll look at, at sin. We'll spend a couple weeks looking at how that uh, messes a lot of things up. But again, how we can move past that as followers of Christ. So thanks for being with us. See you next time.